Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Chapter 4, thank you, Faith, and we're going to look at verse number 8 as our launching point tonight as we conclude a four-week study that we have been going through about what godliness is. There's a whole lot of things that have profit. There are certain things that are worthwhile. There are certain things that aren't worthwhile. I was reminded today of going to Chuck E. Cheese. How many of you have been to a Chuck E. Cheese in the last year? Okay, okay, have been to a Chuck E. Cheese ever? Okay, good, good, good. So you kind of know that feeling that you're trading your money. Isn't it interesting? First of all, you trade your money for tokens, and then you trade your tokens for tickets, so you can trade your tickets for things that you could buy at the dollar store. Isn't that a funny thing that you could do? So <laughs> this whole process, it's like a four-step process to buy for something that would cost you 25, 35 bucks with all of the tickets and tokens. Once you're done, you're buying a three or $4 item and you're ecstatic about it and you're ready to go. But the pizza makes it a whole lot better, right? Yeah, so there's, a, <laughs> there's just certain things that you're going and there is value there. There's something that's, that is profitable about going to that place, but you're not necessarily going for the prizes. <clears throat> You're not necessarily going for the you're not necessarily going for the food, you're going for the experience. There's something there that, oh, it it was a good time, even though we bought this little trinket and it cost us $35 worth of tokens to buy this dollar store item. We're all happy we had a wonderful time because we went through this experience. But there wasn't a lot of profit in that. It wasn't a good investment of money if you're looking for an exchange right there. The Bible teaches us that there is something that profits in every single area of our life, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's relationships, whether it is our career, whatever area of life we want to see profit in, this thing, when added to our lives, it brings a net positive. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8, it says, bodily exercise profiteth little. So, there is profit to bodily exercise, but it only has a temporary or a small profit. It's only going to move the needle just a little bit. But the Bible says this, but godliness is profitable unto all things. It's profitable unto all things. In every single area, when godliness is intercepted into that area of life, it expounds it, it grows it, it makes that whole thing better. So the Bible teaches us that godliness is super important. We saw last week that godliness is something that is supposed to be spread out. It's not just for old people. It's not just for young people. Godliness is intended to be universal. And so today, as we conclude this series, I just want us to see what godliness does as it um, is used through the life of a mentor. So we saw last week, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So God desires for us to be examples. Talking to young men here, God wants the young men to be an example of the believers. So even young men are supposed to adopt godliness. Um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, there was a television or a movie that came out called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. And Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures came out. And my dad, he was talking to a group of teenagers. And I, was so, I remember this so profoundly. He said, it saddens me that the thing that we identify as teenagers are just bonehead idiots. If you're a young person, you're supposed to just be a bonehead idiot. And you're just radical and it's gnarly, dude. And you don't have any types of thoughts or agenda or feelings for the future. And he challenged us as young people. We were speaking at a winter retreat. And I was just 13, 14 years old at the time. But he challenged us as young people to not be bonehead idiots. And that's kind of what the Lord is saying here. Let no man despise thy youth. Don't just allow the fact that you are young to be something that people look down at. Oh, they can't do this. They can't do this. But the Bible says, be thou an example of the believers. And he gives several ways that we're supposed to be examples of the believers. 
He says in verse number 12, he says, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And we talked through those last week as we did our Bible study together. Today, I want us to look at verse number 13. And as we look at verse number 13, we're going to see godliness. And we're going to see our first point tonight is mentors matter in godliness. Mentors matter in godliness. In verse number 13, the Bible says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Now, there's a few things here that are very important. The Apostle Paul is probably an older man at this time. Some would speculate that he's past 65 or around 66, 67 years old. He may be younger. He may even be a little bit older. We don't know with certainty. The person to whom he's writing, Timothy, is probably in his 30s, maybe late 20s, at the very oldest in his early 40s. So he's somebody there. There's a generational difference between the two of them. And in this context, the Bible teaches us that Paul is somewhat of a mentor to this young man. I'm thankful that God has given into my life mentors, aren't you? I'm so thankful that there are people that speak into my life. They share with me truth. They, they guide me. They give me direction in my life. Every single one of us has been, has been given by God a mentor. Now, you might not be able to name that person, but God has given us the spirit of truth. So we have the Holy Spirit of God in our life. We have the apostles and their doctrine in our lives. But oftentimes, God will give us a mentor in their life. Many times, it's an older individual, somebody who might be 10, 15, 20, 40 years older than where you are in that stage of life. So where last week talked about the emphasis of youth and that youth is encouraged to be a servant for God, that youth is encouraged to be an example for God, that young people have value and validity in the work of God, what we see tonight is that God is going to use old people as a way to help direct and steer young people in a manner that would please God. Notice point number one. What is a mentor? A mentor is someone who speaks truth. There's a whole lot of folks that will lie to you, won't there? Do you think I look fat in these jeans? There's a whole lot of people that will look, don't shake your head, I wasn't talking to you. It was a general question, Curtis. <laughs> Curtis, would you just come in and sit down and do what you're supposed to do? But no, you're just making fat jokes about the pastor. And I will remind you that there was people who made fun of a preacher in the Old Testament and were eaten by bears that night. So. Just something to consider as you fall asleep in the evening. <laughs> somebody, for those of you who like football, I was in Michigan a couple weeks ago, and somebody said to me, do you know how do you keep bears out of your backyard? They're up in Michigan. And I said, no. They said, you put an end zone so they don't uh, get anywhere near <laughs> Put an end zone there. Bears won't get anywhere near it. And I thought, oh, that's really good. That's a good one. So... Anyways, that just made me think, just be nice to your pastor. He was, did you see, I was struggling up there trying to baptize kids and the microphone, and then you call me fat. So <laughs> verse number, all of us need people who will speak truth into our lives. Everyone needs somebody who will speak truth into their life. Do you have somebody that will unadulteratedly speak what is truth into your life? When you have that person, man, don't let that person go. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If someone will just placate you or satiate you with their kind words and their noble gestures and their, oh yes, it's okay, and yes, it's okay, it's, it's okay, and we'll, we'll spend money on this for you and we'll do this, be careful of that person because they're not occupying the space of a mentor. A mentor always speaks truth. And so here, Paul, he says, till I come. So notice what he's saying. I have this expectation of you. I have permission to speak into your life. Number two, he encourages in difficult seasons. A mentor is not somebody who will just speak truth, but when you go through a difficult season, you're going to have encouragement in that place. So all of us have probably gone through a time in our life when we're suffering the consequences of our poor choices. Have you ever talked to a kid and like, if you do that, you're going to get hurt. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do it. You did it. And they're on the ground and they're crying and they're sobbing and they got a boo-boo now. And what, is it, what does a mentor do? A mentor doesn't do suck it up, say you're sorry. Tell me I was right and you were wrong. No, what does a mentor do? A mentor doesn't rub somebody's wrong in their face. A mentor will encourage in a difficult season. So the Apostle Paul is speaking as a person who can speak truth, but even in a difficult season, he's not going to see I told you so. I hate to say I told you so, but 
I told you so. That's not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is someone who's going to help navigate even through a difficult season. It's the Apostle Paul that said to Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. It was the Apostle Paul that said to Timothy, a bishop should never drink wine. So here's, a, here's the same guy saying to him, when you're going through this difficult season, make sure you get a little bit of something to make you feel better and be able to sleep at night. He was a mentor into his life, though the general rule was, do this, truth, truth, truth. But I know you're going through a difficult season. Let me encourage you in this difficult season. All of us need that type of person. Sometimes that person is a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a friend or a loved one. It could be a relative. But when you find a person who will encourage you in a difficult season and also speaks truth, um, they listen, but they don't just listen for the sake of listening. There are times in life when we want to vent. You ever just wanted to vent? And when you're just speaking, like you go through a bad time and you just want to say, this person's dumb, this person is a dummy, dumb, dummy, and they are dumb, dumb, dumber, and dumb, okay? And you are just venting about that. All of us need somebody who can vent too. But somebody that is a mentor in our life is not just listening so that they can placate our need to exhaust our emotions. A mentor is somebody who listens for answers. I'm listening, and as I'm hearing you say this, it makes me think that you need this in your life. Um, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, became a billionaire. And she became a billionaire not because she offered a whole lot of solutions, but because she sat on a couch and said, Oh, oh, oh. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. But she made her billions by being a good listener. Okay, it's not moving the needle necessarily to be a good listener, though listening is important. And there are times when you need a mentor is going to listen and listen for answers to the problem. You know, I'm going to speak truth into you. You said this, and when you said that, it makes me think that maybe everybody else isn't the problem. Maybe you've got an issue you've got to work on. Perhaps there's something you need to correct here. They're listening for answers, not just to play, Kate, not just to uh, provide emotional support. Number three, or number next, they put things in mind. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading. Now, this is interesting because the word attendance means to put these things in your mind. I was talking recently to a group of teenagers about the need for us to guard the music that we listen to. Because each of us will develop a soundtrack for life. Disney does a great job with this. There are certain songs that if you were just to say five or six words of these certain songs, you would be able to identify which character that Disney animated figure goes with because there is a soundtrack that goes along with their life. In our lives, we also have a soundtrack. There's certain things that whenever you're doing housework, there's a song going through your head. If you're outside gardening or mowing the lawn, there's a song going through your head. When you're driving, you put it to your certain station. And depending on the type of music you're listening to, it puts those type of thoughts towards your mind. A man might be driving home and listen to a romantic song and it puts a thought into his mind about his wife. And when he gets home, he's got all these romantic intentions, but the only music that she's been listening to all day was the Bluey soundtrack. And so the romance that he might be having is different than the Bluey soundtrack or the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse soundtrack. And so they are not on the same soundtrack. And so there's a little bit of... Um, disappointment because nobody's playing house that night. So there's a, <laughs> there's a sorrow that comes because the, the soundtrack is not in line. So this is the point. God says, give attendance. Give attendance to these things. The word give attendance means take this and make sure you put this in your mind. What is the thoughts that are going through your mind throughout the day? Because what is in our mind will determine. Notice a couple things that he says. You put things into your mind through your reading. Now, I don't know what he was reading. It seems to me that there may have been some copies of the Word of God or some inspired writings that he would have gotten, but I don't think that the Apostle Paul is saying, just read this every day. When you want to read, just read 1 Timothy. A second one's coming soon. Get prepared for the sequel. 
So there's, there's reading. There's things that he is filling his mind with knowledge. Okay, so make sure that in the attendance that you have, because more than likely, Timothy doesn't have a copy of the scriptures his own. He doesn't have the Torah. He probably doesn't have a copy of Isaiah that he's taking home. He doesn't have the version app on his phone that he's able to. So the reading is probably a wide range of reading. So give attendance. Put into your mind reading. What's the reading have to do with? Well, the reading has to do with things that are entertainment. That's fine. We know that Paul understood entertaining ideas. When he went to the people at Mars Hill, recorded in the book of 1 Corinthians, he got up and he eloquently spoke out a poem that was part of the nomenclature and the culture of that Greek island city. And as he was speaking to it, he was obviously aware of some popular poetic device that was being utilized in the culture of that day. So there was entertainment. The Apostle Paul would have found things entertaining. In fact, oftentimes the Apostle Paul was speaking about um, athleticism. We are of the opinion as theologians that the Apostle Paul gave uh, much attention to the races, the games that were going on. He uses phrases like this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He uses phrases like this, if he's the author of Hebrews, he uses phrases like, let us run with uh, patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the race. Uh, he uses words in the word, um, this word uh, discipline uh, in verse number seven, where he says, exercise thyself. That word exercise is the Greek word gymnasio. So there is obviously, or it's apparent that in Paul's idea, he was a person who was a dude who would have sat down like, I want to know who's winning the Super Bowl tonight. When spring trainings come along, he'd probably been interested in those things. But God, what he's saying here is make sure that you're giving attendance, putting into your mind in the reading, in the entertainment, in the coaching that you receive. I hope that you're a reader in life. I hope that you uh, have podcasts that you listen to. How many of you have a favorite podcast that you listen to? Hopefully it's Tice Talks, put out every other week by David Anna Tice as a, a help to a family. But you have a, you have a specific podcast that you listen to. How many, of you, how many of you read a book and read a book on audio? Okay, how many of you have a favorite streaming service that you've got? Okay, this is interesting. How many of you are Netflix people? Okay, good. How many of you, Amazon Prime people? Amazon Prime, okay. How many, how many of you are um, Disney Plus people? All right, okay, good. Just interesting. So what each of those things are is those are coaching devices in our life. There is an agenda with every single thing that is going on. It doesn't matter if you, well, I only watch the news. You are being coached on what to think. Yesterday night at 6 o'clock, I turned on the news, and I turned on the major news to see what was the major news story? Do you know, depending on who you were listening to, the breaking news at six o'clock was completely different? If you were watching CNN, their breaking news was completely different than what was on ABC 30 minutes earlier. And their completely different news was different than that which was on Fox News at six o'clock. You wanna know why? Because there's coaching going on. There's co and depending on who their audience is and who the demographic is, MSNBC was running a completely different story than the people over at uh, Newsmax or some conservative website. Why were they doing that? Because there's coaching that's going on. If we're not aware of that, we are just ignorant of the truth that people are speaking into our lives what we would call their truth. They're speaking their truth into our lives. And if we are allowing coaching through our reading, through the books, through the authors, through the things that we are ingesting, it's going to be giving attendance in our mind. So here he says, give attendance in your mind. What are you putting into your mind? Are you putting good reading materials, entertainment, coaching? And how does that affect? Because the last three big movies last year in 2023, Barbie had an agenda. If you don't think that Barbie had an agenda making a billion dollars, Barbie had an agenda. There was a social agenda. There was a perspective. Uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I don't know if you watched these movies. If you didn't, it's unimportant to me. But big, second biggest movie it had an agenda. The Super Mario Brothers. Now, I don't know what their agenda was, but there was an agenda. There was a perspective that was going out with each of those. When we are being godly, there is understanding that I need to protect what goes into my mind. 
whether it's in music, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's through reading, whether it's through a podcast, however I am allowing my mind, I just watch YouTube videos about sewing. Awesome. Then you're getting a perspective about something from somebody. So give attendance. What are you putting in your mind? Number two, he says, put things into your mind that are exhorting. That the word exhorting means things that are positive. Things that are helping you think in a good manner. You can put negative things in your mind. By the way, watching the 6 p.m. news will put a whole lot of negative things in your mind. I watch, um, almost every night I will watch the news at 10 o'clock. Our local TV news. Almost every night I'll watch that. I won't say every night, but many nights I'll watch that. I gotta tell you, the first nine minutes of our local news, Metro Police said this person was found dead. In another area, Metro Police say these people were found dead. I'm like, man, everyone died. It's just a, it's, it's very negative, isn't it? And then they might sprinkle in uh, energy prices are rising. Residents are mad because the Southwest Gas has proposed a 10% rate hike. Gas prices, inflation is up. The stock market took a hit today. Joe Biden made it up the stairs. <laughs> and in this, in this environment of constant negativity, the word exhortation means make sure that the reading is building you up. It's easy to get very negative. The other day, somebody told me that China's going to come in and kill 50% of the population. Like, wow. Could it happen? Maybe. I don't know, but I just want, I don't want to spend my nights thinking about that. I don't want to be ignorant, right? I don't want to be a person who's sticking my head in the sand and trying to marry Poppins away the uh, Dorothy Gale, no place like home type of thing. But I do know this, that if I'm allowing myself to have a constant diet, a constant diet of negativity, it will turn me into a negative person. So what does God say? Philippians chapter 4 says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, I just want to be a realist, good, focus on what is true. And when you're focusing on what is true, then study the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is the way the... Oh, so when I'm going to have truth in my life, I'm going to focus on Jesus. No, 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 I got to show you this article I found from... They, they're going to censor it. Watch this video before they ban it on YouTube, Okay. When you see stuff like that, I'm not saying be ignorant. I'm just saying, go back to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Read the Gospel of Luke. When you start to get worried and concerned, because they killed Jesus, but he came back to life. Okay? So go back to truth. Go back to truth. Allow truth to be your default. Whatsoever things are honest. If there's a sleazy salesman trying to pawn off something all the time, go to what is honest. Whatsoever things are just, this is morally good and appropriate. Whatsoever things are pure, they're clean. Whatsoever things are lovely. Is your television viewing habits lovely? Are they lovely? That's good, isn't it? Is it lovely? And whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise. So it, it exemplifies things. Now, I know some of you are thinking, all I'm ever going to be able to do is watch Hallmark movies. And that might not be the worst thing ever. But the Bible says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what am I supposed to do? Put in my mind, think on these things. It's not saying to be ignorant. It's not saying to be benign. What it is saying, the Word of God tells us, put into your mind things that are positive. Put into your mind things that are positive. It doesn't mean that you're not a realist. It doesn't mean that you're not willing to fight. We should be willing to fight for what is right and what is good and take stands and be men of courage and women of faith. These are all things that we're supposed to do. But we cannot allow ourselves to get wrapped up. This is what he's talking about as a mentor. We can't allow all of the political divisiveness in our culture to wrap our attention around Something that is not pure, honest, holy, just, and right, without virtue and without praise. We're supposed to be thinking on those things. So when you get in a debate and like, I've never seen something like this before. If Jesus doesn't come before the end of the world, I want Jesus to come before the end of the year, right? All of us do. But God tells us to focus on things that are pure, right, holy, virtuous, just, honest. So focus on those things. 
That's what Jesus tells us to do. And the apostle Paul says to Timothy here, he says, put into your mind exhortation, things that help you think right, things that help you grow in truth, things that help you love your neighbor as yourself, things that help you remember, um, remember them uh, which have the rule over you, who've spoken unto you the words of truth. All those things, to remember to be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Remember to be godly. Number, three, uh, number next, the Bible says this. This is such a good passage of Scripture, one of my favorite. I have this verse underlined in my Bible because it's important. Proverbs 16, 3 says, When you commit your works unto the Lord, thy thoughts shall be established. If I get to a place where my mind is constantly negative, where my mind is constantly in a place of depravity or evil, or I have a bad word problem, I have a problem with communicating foul language, or I'm just constantly arrogant or demeaning to people, the Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. What's that mean? You don't always have to wait for the right heart attitude to do something. Well, I'll serve the Lord when my heart's in it. No, just serve the Lord now. I'll start uh, giving whenever I can be a cheerful giver. No, God says, give now. Commit thy works. This is what the Bible says. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. There were people in this room tonight, whenever Jason Holt was talking about the thousands of tracts that they passed out in Chile, there were, there were people in here who were like, ah, Ah, oh, praise the Lord. They were, they were excited about it. They were enthusiastic about it because where their treasure is, there will their heart be also. And they wrote $50 checks and $100 checks. And some people wrote $1,000 checks. And we gave $14,000 for this project down here. And some people in this room were like, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Look at what God's doing. There were other folks that were just, oh, that's it's great that we do that with other missionaries. Why? Because somebody commit their works unto the Lord and now they have a passion for Chile. And other folks like, I don't even know where Chile is. It was a little chilly this morning with the clouds covering down and the snow on the mountains. And God gives us this, this truth that if we commit our works unto the Lord, what will happen? Our thoughts shall be established. So God says, put into your mind, put attendance, give attendance to these things. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. What are the things that I need to know? What is the teaching? Don't ever get to a place where you feel doctrine's not important. Doctrine is everything in life. Doctrine is what our entire life is about. The word doctrine simply means teaching. So if you go to, if you're a baseball fan and you're looking at websites to understand what your team's going to do in the free, a free agent market, if you're a basketball fan and you're looking forward to March Madness, you are getting teaching from a blog, from a YouTube station. You're getting teaching all over the place. The word doctrine just means teaching. So get your doctrine about things that matter. Get doctrine about what is morally right. Get doctrine about what is biblically accurate. Learn the theology of Scripture. Understand the Scripture. So let your doctrine, put your mind, your doctrine, so that when somebody asks you a question of the hope that lieth within you, you are ready to give an answer. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, don't talk about, I don't talk about religion in the office. You need to. I don't talk about religion whenever I go to school. You need to. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care what the weather was like. They're not going to care. A uh, hundred years from now, you're not going to care about who won the 2024 elections. A hundred years from now, you just, it's not going to be important to you. The whole world's ramping up to that. A hundred years from now, you won't care whether Taylor and Travis eventually ended up together and lived happily ever after. None of those things will matter to us 100 years from now. Okay, so in that environment, what will matter? What will matter? My knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ will matter 100 years from now. Give attention to doctrine. Doctrine teaches us you better know your stuff. And if you know your stuff, when you know your stuff, you are confident in learning. There's something about being confident with what you're doing. My son Luke got a game right around Christmas time. It's called Rocket League, and it's so fun. It's a Nintendo game, and in Rocket League, you take three matchbox cars, and they put this oversized ball in the middle of a soccer field. And uh, the goal of the game, you play a nine-game season. Each one of the games are five minutes apiece. 
And so Luke and I, a couple times a week, we will play a season of Rocket League. We started out at novice, then we went to pro, and we won the league in pro level, and now we have moved up to all-star level. I know, it's pretty impressive, okay? You're welcome. Your pastor's multidimensional, yes. Okay, you thought all I knew about was the Bible, but I'm an all-star in Rocket League. Luke will put more time into Rocket League than I do. He just has more investment in Rocket League than I do. Luke will score two or three goals a game. If I get a goal, I'm jumping up and down like I just won the Super Bowl, right? In fact, Luke sometimes just kind of lets me tag along as he's carrying us through this thing. But my skill level's gotten a little bit better. But I'll tell you this, once I started playing about three or four games, I'm a little bit more confident. I'm not pressing the wrong button and making the, the thing look backwards at me. And I'm not jumping up and down or even looking at the wrong screen, which I was doing for the first few days that we were playing this game together. I'm a little bit more confident. In fact, if you were to say, let's play Rocket League afterwards, I'd be like, let's do it. I'm not scared of anybody in Rocket League now because I got Luke on my team. <laughs> in every area of life, when you start to know your stuff, it builds confidence. So in doctrine, do you know your stuff? How do I get to know my stuff? You learn more about it. You're not dumb. By the way, this book isn't only written so that smart people can learn it. Aren't all of us living examples of that? This book isn't just for people that have attained some level of understanding or grew up in a pastor's family or went to a Christian school like the girls who were baptized tonight. This book is for regular people. In fact, the English version of our Bible was specifically, the starting translations of the English version of our Bible were written by a guy named John Wycliffe. And he was so frustrated with the hierarchy of the uh, of the church in that day that he said we need to have a Bible that is so easy to read John Wycliffe said this that even the plowboy in the field would be able to understand it they put him on a stake and they burnt him alive because the hierarchy of that day the religious elites of that day say you're too stupid to understand this book okay God wants us not to have to wait on somebody. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You are to be a student of this book. So learn your stuff. So that if you're ever listening to the radio and some preacher says something like, that just doesn't, that doesn't sit right. Well, he must be right because we trust the experts. God desires for you to be an expert of the word of God. In Jeremiah chapter 15, I believe it was. We studied this in my class. Jeremiah chapter 15, God's about to ju pronounce judgment on Judah. Say it's all going to fall down. It's all going to rain down. And Jeremiah goes to the Lord and says, but, go, but Lord, Lord, the false prophets, they were persuading the people to go in the wrong manner. So Lord, you can't hold them accountable because, because the false prophets were doing this. And the Lord says, I gave them my word and they were responsible for my word. And if they would have known my word, this is me um, condensing the passage, if they would have known my word like they were supposed to when the false prophet came in, they would have said, fake, fraud, phony, get out of here. No, we're not listening to you, fake, fraud, phony. But because they allowed the learning of God's word to become a passive action where they were munching on it rather than searching or seeking it out, the Bible tells us that they went into judgment and there was no excuse. Profound truth. You and I need to know our stuff. We need to be ready and confident in our learning. And uh, uh, we've got to be crazy to convert. There's got to be in, in our, our desire, we want to see people come to know Christ. The Bible says this. Um, this is so interesting. That passion of knowing the Word of God consumed Paul so greatly. One day he's in a trial, and in that trial, he is giving defense for himself. He doesn't wait upon a lawyer. The Bible tells us this. He's speaking before a monarch, uh, maybe more like a judge or a mayor of a, a region. His name is Festus. 
And thus he spake for himself, the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, you have learned so much, you're crazy. Nobody believes this stuff, Paul. You have studied this. You are going, you are insane in the membrane. You are a El Pollo Loco. You have gone too far, man. This is, you, you're just, uh, you're crazy about this. Notice what Paul's response is to this king, Festus, if you will. He said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. The word mad meaning crazy there, not um, an emotional anger. I'm not mad, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And notice what happens here. In his knowledge, he flips it. He flips it on Festus, who just said, dude, you're crazy. Get out of here. I don't want to hear from you. You just learned too much, and now you're gone crazy. And notice what the learning does. It gives him a confidence to in front of a king. He says this, the king knoweth these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Um, Sir Festus, you know what I'm saying is true. And we can culturally set it to the side, we can fake believe that this isn't real, but you and I both know this is true. For I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner, King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? Do you believe that the prophets are true? Do you believe Isaiah, Jeremiah? Do you think Elijah was a good dude? And Festus, a person who grew up knowing those things, would have been persuaded to be like, oh yeah, if he had said, I don't believe the prophets, he would have been a heretic. <laughs> Paul is so great with this. He said, I know that thou believest. Now, this is what's beautiful. Knowledge is not just so that we can blast things out culturally. Knowledge is so that we can become crazy about this thing of conversion. Not just blasting it out here, but taking the truth and saying, what are you going to do with the truth? What are you going to do with the truth? What do you do with the truth? You, you really don't believe, You really think that this wacko ideal is accurate i don't think that's what you really believe almost thou persuadest me agrippa says to paul almost thou persuadest me to be a christian and paul said oh i would to god that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were almost and all together as i am except for these bonds it'd be nice if i wasn't wearing handcuffs right now and when he had thus spoken the king rose up the governor and bernice and they that sat with him, and they were gone aside, and they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might not have been set to liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. What's the point of that? Learning gives you boldness, and that boldness puts into your heart a desire to see people convert to Jesus Christ. There's a passion, there's a, there's a desire there when you learn and grow. Do you know? Mentors matter in ministry, number three, in godliness. Number two, ministry matters in godliness. Look at verse number um, 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Okay, this is interesting, and we're going to walk through this a little bit more quickly than the last point. Number one, God's call is on each of his child, each, on each child. So it doesn't matter who you are. There's a call of God in your life. There is not levels of Christianity. It's like, okay, you are, you are novice Christianity. You are pro-Christianity. You are all-star Christian. Just one more, and you are going to become like sheep. You can't be the goat. There's only one goat. But you're going to be like sheep-level Christianity. No. God's call is on every child. So God wants you to grow as a Christian in your calling. It doesn't matter where you are, if you've been saved for 10 years or if you've been saved for 50 years. God desires for you to, call, to grow in your calling. God's call is on each child. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, the Bible says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you hath he quickened, the Bible says, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. In times past, you walked according to the prince and the power of the air. In times past, you walked according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In times past, you were among whom also we all had our conversations or our lifestyles. In times past, 
in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of thy mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened. He made us alive together with Christ. Do you understand that God's not like, you're the special one, we just barely let you squeak in. No, God says, we were all in this same place, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What does that show us? That every single person has a ministry that matters in godliness. We are not supposed to plateau in our Christian life. We're not supposed to come to a place where we're satisfied with our accomplishments or our love for God. No, we're supposed to be at a place where we grow. Have you ever been in a restaurant and seen people who seem like they've been married for a long time? And as they're sitting at a nice restaurant, they're both on the phone like this. That's weird, right? I mean, you could be doing that in, in your home. But here you are, you're spending 50, 70, 80 bucks, and you're both on your phones like that. You ever seen people that they become comfortable in their relationship? No, don't raise your hand. And don't point at anybody either. But you ever seen somebody who's comfortable in your relationship, and you can just tell they stopped working on their relationship? They're not trying to woo her anymore. They're not trying to show him love anymore. They're just like, we're just trying to get to the finish line. You ever seen somebody like that? Have you ever seen a Christian who's like that in their walk with God? They stopped working and demonstrating their love. Oh, not so that they could get his affirmation. Not so that they could get his approval. But they're just, I'm good. I taught Sunday school once. Oh, I'm good. I, I tithed. I'm good. I showed up. The other day I was talking to, I was with a group of lost people. And in this group of lost people, one of them said, we're going to go to church this Sunday. We're going to make God happy. <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate what they were trying to say in, in, their, in their understanding. Like, we want to do something that pleases God. As if God's sitting there and, oh, oh. They didn't go to church today. Oh, 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 oh. The point is, sometimes we become comfortable in our walk with God and we stop serving him. We stop, we stop putting in effort. God says, our ministry matters. Your ministry matters. Spiritual small steps matter. This is amazing. In verse number 14, the Bible says, the Bible says this, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people. Now, this is what I want you to say. Spiritual authority matters. Small steps matter. So what I'm doing in my walk with God matters to God. Spiritual authority matters. The word presbytery is used just three times in the Bible. The first time it's used is here in Luke chapter 22, verse 66. It's that word elders. The elders of the people are the chief priests. It's talking specifically about the uh, the Sanhedrin at this juncture. In Acts chapter 22, it is used again, but this time it's used in a church-wide setting, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in the estate of the elders. So this is, this is a place where we start to see the church starting to adopt a structure with it. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, it's not translated elders. This one word is translated presbytery, which means there are spiritual mentors in your life. Now, this is so good. Small steps matter. Small steps matter because God wants to use you in service. But have you ever seen somebody who feels like they are overqualified for a job? This past week, someone was telling me about, about a family member, and they put in all of these different opportunities, and they had to borrow $1,000 this month, and they had to borrow this much money, but they're, they're not getting the job offers they want, and the places that they are getting job offers, they're overqualified for. Well, you might be overqualified for a $14 an hour job or a $12 an hour job, but it's better than going in debt another thousand bucks. If you have to door dash or if you have to bag groceries or deliver pizzas, do what you've got to do, but, but you are qualified to do that. Get a little bit of money in that situation. But sometimes we come to a place in our Christian life where we think, well, I'm, I'm overqualified to be vacuuming floors or I'm overqualified to be doing, I need to be doing something important for God. But just like a job, a new company job, doesn't matter if you transfer over from the same place, 
Very rarely in life are you getting the same equal position without going through the training and understanding the smallest things in life. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. This is where, this is where we keep the mops. This is where the light switches are. Small things matter to God, and God will use spiritual authority in our lives to help us grow. So when a, a spiritual leader says to you, would you come to my Bible study? Would you help take attendance? Would you um, take the prayer requests? Don't say, oh, no, 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 no. Understand that that is a gift of God in your life. It's a gift of God because it's giving you an opportunity to grow and exercise yourself unto godliness. When we start to deny spiritual opportunities of service, we are literally taking the, the Holy Spirit of God's work and we are grieving it. We are quenching it, another New Testament passage says. So when God gives you an opportunity to service, you might think you're overqualified, you might think you're underqualified, but take advantage of that because that's where God's expanding your growth. I don't know that I'm good to sing in the choir. I don't know that I'd be good with eight-year-olds. I don't know that I could teach over here. I don't know that I could go out door to door and pass out flyers. But if it's an opportunity, notice God's put a spiritual authority in your life so that spiritual authority is giving you permission, giving you opportunity, allowing the work of God to move through you. And so the laying on the hands is a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture of how the authority of Jesus Christ was given to the apostles, and the apostles took that and they gave it to others, and they gave it to others, and they gave it to others. And it's the ordination so shown in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, but it's that idea that service was given to me and the privilege of service is now given to you. Service is always a privilege. It's always an opportunity. It's not, oh, I have to do this because nobody else will. No, it's the process of faithfulness. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the, Holy, uh, of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given to him. Here the laying on of hands is again given. Of the doctrine of baptism, laying on hands, of resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. Authority is given. I don't have time to go into all of this. Great passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 9, talks about a man who says, God, I need you to work in my life. Jesus says, oh, I'll come heal him. He says, you don't even have to come over to my house. Just say the word because I'm a man given to authority. When we start to recognize spiritual authority in our lives, it opens up doors of service and opportunities to grow as a disciple for Jesus Christ. Authority, three things it does. Number one, it provides protection in our lives. Number two, it provides direction in our life. Number three, it provides correction in our life. When we start to live our lives under spiritual authority, we are getting the protection of God. Oh, I probably shouldn't do that. Oh, I probably shouldn't do that. Now, I'm not saying you should go to your spiritual authority for everything. I mean, if you're saying, should I get tacos or a burrito? Okay, go to the Holy Spirit about that, okay? But if you've got major Christ, uh, the other day, somebody said, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. We're thinking of taking this move with our family. There's an opportunity going on. Now, I'm not God in that person's life, but they said, this job opportunity is presenting ourselves. What do you think? Now, I really respect the person that asked me that question, not because I have a whole lot of insight onto his field of service or his career, but God has given me a little bit of authority into his life as a spiritual mentor, as a, spirit, as a pastor. God's given me authority. And I said, this is what I think, and this is what I think, and this is what I think. Ultimately, the decision's between you and God, but this is where I would be concerned, and this is where I would be careful, and this is where I would take advantage of those opportunities. You know what that person, that person demonstrated so much wisdom, and that wisdom that they were demonstrating was, in this major life issue, I'm going to just kind of seek some counsel about some things. He provides protection. God's authority provides direction. Should I? Should I not? And then it also provides correction. Doesn't Nathan do that for David? Thou art the man. It provides correction in our life, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what the word of God does. Mediation, meditation matters in godliness. Look at verse number 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that, the profit, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine continuing in them, for in, the, in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Meditation matters. Number two things, two, a couple things. Number one, remember. Remember that every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Remember, I am called by God. Remember that my call of God is recognized by man and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So then I need to exemplify godliness. 
Bodliness, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness brings about gain in every area. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that they may profit thee. Show others the joy of serving Jesus. Show others the blessing, and then be cautious. Beware of danger, verse number 16 says. Beware of danger internally. This is so good. You all have danger inside of you. You know that, don't you? Have you ever disappointed yourself? Have you ever said, I'm not going to do this, and then you did it? We all have danger internally. We all have danger spiritually. Check this out. The Bible says, oh, oh, this lady named Cheryl showed this to me the other day in Scripture and never saw it before. Look what the Bible says. We all have danger. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Does it say that the devil is a roaring lion? He pretends to be. Isn't Satan the great counterfeit? He's always just the great counterfeit. So the Bible tells us that Satan is not a roaring lion. He pretends that he's a roaring lion. That he pretends to be a roaring lion. Now, I'm not, I'm not one to dismiss the satanic power that is present. Satan has power, okay? But he's not a lion. Who's a lion? Genesis chapter 49, verse 9 and 10 says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From his prey, from thy son which thou gone up, he stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion who rouse, shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh. That is Jesus. Who is the lion's cub? Demonstrated in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It is Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Satan comes around and he tries to scare us with his tactics. He's just a little kitten. Who's the true lion? Jesus Christ, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that good? When Satan comes like, ah! No, he's just pretending to be a lion. He's wearing a little costume from Party City that pops up every few months, okay? He's just pretending. Who is the true lion? It is Jesus Christ. He's the one who has power. He has all authority. Oh, whenever I heard that, it just got me happy. Beware of danger internally. Beware of danger spiritually. Beware of danger externally. The Bible tells us that the way we do that is beware of danger, beware of doctrine, um, and when in doubt, return to the default. What is my default? My default is always the Word of God. I grow from there. If I'm in a place where I'm not, what do I do here? I go back to the Word of God. I season myself in the Word of God. I allow myself to get put into the Word of God. And that's where both are delivered. The Bible says when you go back to the Word of God, both of you are delivered in such a way. And that is how godliness is demonstrated in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Thank you, Lord, for your word and time together tonight. I pray you'd bless and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.